this morning and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. We've been reciting for the last, like I said, about, about five or six weeks. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, at the beginning of every one of our services. Uh, what I want to do this morning and then also tonight is to take a look at the context of those verses, what comes before and what comes after, and then also the verses themselves, and uh, just to see what it is that the Lord would have us uh, to learn uh, this morning. Colossians chapter 3, I want you to read with me verses 1 through 4. Let's all stand together and you read along silently as I read aloud. If your neighbor does not have a Bible this morning, please allow them to look on with you. Verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to assemble together this morning. We're thankful, Lord, for the singing, for the prayers, and now for the word of God. And we ask, God, that you would calm and still our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be focused upon you and your word and the message that you would have for us this morning. God, I need you. Uh, Lord, if, uh, if, if, you don't, if you don't empower me, if you don't uh, lead, guide, and direct me as I preach this morning, I can't, I can't do this. And uh, Lord, you've told us over and over again, we, we've been reminded, without you, we can do absolutely nothing. And uh, so, Father, I, I just pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts this morning in a way that only you can, and have your will and your way in our lives as we hear your word preached for us in Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Colossians is a, is a book of four chapters, and the first two chapters, as Paul does this often, uh, the first two chapters teach doctrine. And now we come to chapter, chapters three and four, the last half of the book, and he shows how to take the doctrine that he just taught and how to apply it practically. This is, a, this is a, so important because doctrine is foundational for behavior and, and the practical is built upon the doctrine. We're not supposed to just listen to the Word of God, but we're supposed to respond to the Word of God. Be, hearers of, be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Uh, it's important to obey what the Bible says, but it's also important to know why. And so he spent the first two chapters explaining the doctrine and then saying that because of that doctrine, uh, we, we need to have our, our, our behavior affected by it. Pagan religions of, of uh, Paul's day divorced worship from moral purity, uh, personal purity, personal morality. Uh, they believed one thing and they did another. Uh, in other words, what a person said they believed didn't have really any effect on how he lived. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like today. You know, people say that they believe this, that, and the other thing, but then it doesn't affect their lives at all. Christianity linked the, the belief with the behavior. And God, of course, expects us to respond to those things that we believe 
by our lives. If, if we're united with Jesus Christ, as it says in chapters 1 and 2, and if we have his spirit in us, and if we're risen with him, like it, like it explains, then our lives ought to reflect that. And our lives ought to be different because of Jesus Christ. Look with me in the, in the uh, what we're going to look at this morning is, is uh, because we're risen with Christ. He starts out in the, in the chapter, if you then be risen with Christ, therefore, there's some things that we ought to do. And uh, we're going to look at, at, uh, at three things that we ought to do because we have been risen with Jesus Christ. The, uh, in, in the previous chapters, he talks about the fact that we are in him, that we are complete in him, that we have the power of God. Uh, we have that power of the resurrection because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And if you're here this morning and you're saved, if you are risen with Christ, in other words, you are in him and because you're in him, you're identified with his death, his burial and his resurrection, then you, you are expected to have a life that's different because we are risen with Christ. Uh, the, the risen life, the resurrected life is what God expects us to reflect. There's three ways that he wants to, us to do it. First one is, is found in the first four verses. In verse one he says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. First thing he tells us to do is set our affections, in other words, set our hearts on heavenly things. Uh, take your Bibles, keep your finger here, and go to Matthew chapter 6. And this is really what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, set your affection on things above. Matthew chapter 6, and look with me in verses 19 down through 24. Verse 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that's why over in, in Colossians 3, when he, he says, he says, set your Affection. Now, oftentimes, I found when folks quote that, they say, set your affections. But that isn't what it says. It says, set your affection. In other words, our affection ought to be singular. And it ought to be, ought to be toward things that are in heaven. What are some things that are above? Well, the Bible says the new Jerusalem is above. In Galatians, 6, 4, uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 26, says that the new Jerusalem is above, which is the mother of us all. God's throne is above, and God sits on that throne. Uh, departed saints, people that you know that have gone on before you, they're there in heaven. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is, is in heaven. Uh, our rewards will be waiting for us someday in heaven. The Bible talks about rewards that we can get by, by living for Christ. 
uh, saved loved ones will be in heaven. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's men that have wives that are waiting for them. There's wives that have, have uh, husbands that are waiting for them. There are uh, parents that have children waiting for them. There are children that have parents waiting for them. The, the, our loved ones are there. The, the word of God is there and it will endure forever, the Bible says. And then th there are those that will be praising God around the throne. You go to, to uh, Revelation chapter 4, and it talks about the fact that, that uh, around the throne of God, there are four beasts and there's 24 elders, and they just continually praise the Lord. Those are the kind of things that we're to set our affection on. We're to set our affection on things that are eternal rather than on things that are, that are carnal and earthly. Um, why should we set our affections above? Well, the scripture tells us in, in these four verses, first of all, because we're dead with Christ. Uh, it says that we, when, when, when a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, you, you, uh, you uh, relate to his death, his burial, and his resurrection because we're in Christ. We have that power of the resurrection, and we're, we're dead with Christ. Just as, as Christ died and rose again, we, uh, we are dead unto sin and alive, and God gives us that power to live for him. The second, second reason that it gives is in verse 4, it says, He is our life. He is our life. He, uh, the Bible says over in 1 John chapter 5, it says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. If, if you're saved, you have life because you have the Son of God. Uh, Paul said this, he said in Philippians 1, he says, for me to live is what? Christ. He said, for me to live is Christ. Uh, you know, what is life to you? Well, because we are, because we ought to have our affection set in heaven, in, in the heavens, uh, our life ought to be Jesus Christ. That's where our life should be. And that's what, what our life should reflect. Uh, third reason why, why uh, we need to set our affections on things above. We're raised with Christ. Just as he was raised from the dead, we are raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, fourth thing is we're hid with Christ. Because we're hid with him, that means we're, we're secure in him. And we ought to, therefore, set our affections on him and the things that are above. And the last one is, the, is a promise, and it's a promise of future glory. Look with me down in, in, in chapter 3. Look down in verse 4. It says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. In other words, what we've got down here is just for a moment, just for a little time. But someday we're going to see Jesus Christ face to face. I appreciated all those songs that we sang this morning. Um, I, I really believe with all of my heart that the second coming of Christ is very, very near. Very near. Uh, there's all kinds of things that are being set up that uh, could, uh, could, could just dovetail right into the tribulation. I've never, I've never seen it like it is today. And you say, oh, that's a glorious thing. And it is a glorious thing. But, but what it ought to do is cause our hearts Rather than to be attached down here into all the stuff that's going on down here, we ought to be attached to heavenly things. Because, because the truth of the matter is, first of all, we're going to see him face to face. We're going to see him soon. And then we're going to be with him 
for all eternity. Again, this is just a little flash in the pan. But once, once, we, once we are absent from the body and present with the Lord, that's going to be for all eternity. Then the second thing that he talks about here is he talks about slaying the earthly, not just, not just setting your affection on things above, but, but slaying the earthly. In other words, killing carnal and fleshly desires. Look at verses 5 through 9. It says, Mortify, therefore, and that's what it means. It means to kill. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Uh, you, you know, if, you, if you're going to grow a garden, you can't grow a garden and just let the weeds multiply. If you're going to grow a garden, you've got to pull the weeds. If, uh, if you're going to have a healthy body, you cannot allow infection to remain in the body. You've got to get rid of that infection. Well, our, our, our affection will not be in the right place unless our fleshly desires are, are slain, are mortified, are killed. And the Bible says that we ought, to, we ought to starve those appetites that are wrong, and we ought to feed the appetites that are right. And uh, God names in particular five sins in this passage, five sensual sins. First one is fornication, which is sexual immorality. You know, we're living in a society today that, that really says sexual immorality is, is the norm. But you know what? With God, it's not the norm. God wants us to be clean. God wants us to be holy. Uh, any, any kind of physical intimacy is supposed to be in marriage, never outside of marriage. So he talks about fornication. He talks about uncleanness. Uncleanness is just simply loose living. Uh, entertaining lustful, impure thoughts. And again, we are bombarded with that stuff. We're bombarded with it in print. We're bombarded with it in the computer. We're bombarded with it in our telephones. We're bombarded with it on, t on television. Uh, th that kind of stuff just continually is hitting us, and we need to be aware that that will, will affect us, and we need to root that, 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 those kind of attitudes and those kind of affections out. The next one is inordinate affection. Inordinate affection is just simply irregular or excessive desires. And often those are the desires that will excite moral impurity. The next one is evil concupiscence. That's one of those real long words that we hardly ever use. And evil concupiscence just simply means base, evil, hurtful desires. Anything that would be against God, anything that would be against being clean and being holy and being godly. And then the last one, which doesn't seem to kind of fit, but actually it really does. And the last one is covetousness. Covetousness. Covetousness is just simply a strong or inordinate desire of obtaining and possessing something. And why this one is so dangerous is because if, if, you, if you're covetous, 
it will cause you to get into those other areas of fornication, of uncleanness, of evil concupiscence, and of inordinate affection. Those things can be fed by an attitude of covetousness. As a matter of fact, uh, that sin can cause you, and that's, of course, one of the, one of the Ten Commandments is that, that we should not covet. And uh, that commandment, can, if, if we break it, can actually cause us to break all of the other commandments as well. Appetites determine behavior. And what you feed yourself is what you'll become. And if you, you know, we've got, we've got this, uh, this thinking today. And, and to some extent, I understand it. Uh, it's, to some extent, it's true. The Bible says we're all born sinners. Now, we're not all born sinning, but we're all born sinners. So that means that we have some desires in us that are wrong. Uh, you don't have to teach uh, a, uh, a child how to fight. Uh, they get mad enough, they'll, they're going to throw a punch. You don't have to teach a child how to lie. Uh, you don't have to uh, teach a child to be conniving. Why? Well, because it's in them. Uh, that's, that sin nature is there. And, uh, and you, you hear people say, well, the reason why I do what I do or the reason why I am what I am is that I was born that way. Well, you know, really, to some extent, we could all say that because we're all born sinners. But you know what? That's no excuse for us to sin. And that's why God tells us to starve the bad appetites and to, to feed the good appetites. Look down in verses 6 and 7. Down in verse 6, he says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. In other words, he's saying, listen, you got saved from that stuff. You used to be that kind of a person. You used to be, you used to have problems in those areas. You still have problems in those areas, but you don't have to. Why? Because we're risen with Christ. And when we're risen with Christ, we have power over those appetites, and we have power over those desires. Look down in verses 8 and 9. 8 and 9, he talks about some social sins that, uh, that we need to get rid of. In verse 8, he says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, the, these things are, are all to be put off. You, you think of it this way. When, when Jesus uh, died and they put him in the tomb, when he rose again, he did not take the grave clothes with him. He, he left the grave clothes aside and he walked out of the tomb. Well, that's the same thing that God wants us to do. God wants us to take these attitudes and these, these, uh, these, these sins and and deny them and put them off from us because we now have the power of the resurrected Christ. Uh, the the, the uh, six things that he talks about, first one is, is anger. Second one he talks about is wrath. Wrath is a, a more violent type of anger. The third one is malice. Malice is just simply ill will toward others uh, where we desire evil things upon them rather than good things uh, for them. Revenge would be a part of that. Uh, blasphemy. 
Blasphemy means to speak or, uh, uh, or uh, to speak reproach, reproachfully of others or to speak irreverently of God. Uh, watch out. Watch out for, for uh, trite phrases that we say. Um, I get very upset and I get very concerned when I hear Christian people say, oh, my God. It's just a flippant, it's, it's actually, it's a very, very irreverent thing to say. And, you know, I expect it from unsafe people. I don't expect it from safe people. I think we need to be very, very careful about how we use the name of the Lord and how we refer to God in our everyday speech. The fifth one is filthy communications, and that's just simply foul speech, coarse humor, obscene language and so forth. And then the, the last one is lying. Uh, John chapter 8 and verse 44 says that the devil is a liar and that he's the father of it. Uh, we ought to be known as, as Christian people as, as being truth tellers. We ought to be known as people who, who stand for the truth. And so God says, listen, these these appetites or these tendencies that we have because Christ is risen we now have the power to put these things off we now have the power to starve those appetites that we didn't have the power to do before we got saved and then the 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 third thing that he talks about is down in verses 10 and 11 and he actually goes goes all the way down to uh, verse uh, verses 16 and 17 but in verses 10 and 11, he says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. The third thing he tells us to do because we've been risen with Christ is to put on the new man. In other words, be Christ-like, be renewed, be different. Uh, verse 11, verse 11 says, uh, uh, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. No matter who you are, no matter what your heredity is, no matter what your background is, you can be a new person in Jesus Christ because of the power of the resurrection. Be, uh, nobody, you know, uh, um, it, it's, not your, it's not your background, it's not your environment, it's not your upbringing that makes you sin. Nobody makes you sin. Sinning is, is a choice. And just like you got saved by choice, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we're saved. Uh, when it comes to putting on the new man, it's a choice that we have to make. And we have, we have to make that choice on, on a daily basis. Uh, look with me down in verses uh, 12 through 17. And these are some of the verses that we've been reciting over the last few weeks. Put on therefore... As the elect of God, this is part of the new man, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, 
put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, and, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And we're told to, to put off the old man, starve those old desires, and then put on the new man. But how do we put on Christ? I mean, how do we do this in a, in a practical way? Well, there's four specific things that he gives us in, in this passage, four specific things that we can do to put on the new man. First one is to take on the attitudes that Jesus Christ had. And down in verses 12 through 14, talks about, talks about eight different attitudes. And all of these attitudes were exhibited in Jesus Christ. We can now, because we're saved, we can have these attitudes as well. First one was mercies, mercies. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting the punishment or the results or the effects of our actions that we deserve. And the Bible says that we ought to be merciful, why? <laughs> Because God's been awful merciful to us. Because God's been awful good to us. And because we've received mercy, now we should give forth mercy. That's putting on the new man. Another thing we need to do, another, another attitude of Christ, is kindness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 says, Be ye kind one to another, uh, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And again, it's because Christ has done that for us we should be quick to also show kindness toward others. The third one is humbleness of mind. Uh, hum, a humble spirit puts other people first and is obedient to God and, and wants to please the Lord and wants to be a blessing to others. Uh, uh, the next one is meekness. Meekness today really is, is, uh, is misconstrued. When, when you think of somebody meek, you think of... Think of at least I do. Uh, I, I used to think of, of, a, of a husband who is just a little old mouse and his wife bosses him around and tells him what to do every step of the way. Uh, that's not meekness. What meekness is, is it's a, a person who is, who is broken, but they're broken to God. And they're under God's control. And their expectations and their rights have been given up to God. And in, in, in other words, really, what meekness is, is that is, is, a, is, a, is a servant's spirit or a servant's heart. If a person's really meek, they have a servant's heart. The next, the next quality that's talked about is long-suffering. Now, long-suffering, is that different from patience? Well, it's a form of patience, but it is different because long-suffering puts up with provoking circumstances or provoking people without any thought of retaliation. In other words, putting up with things and being patient with things, even though you personally have to suffer because of it. And the next one is forbearance. Forbearance just simply means to, to hold back or to put up with. Um, again, hasn't God been pretty forbearant with us? Hasn't he been, hasn't, doesn't he have a lot that he has to put up with? And the Bible says that he knows 
that we are but dust. And it says that he knows that we are like grass that withereth. Uh, but, but he puts up with us and he's patient with us. Next one is forbearance. Uh, or excuse me, the next one is, is forgiveness. And forgiveness is something that we have received from Jesus Christ. So therefore, we should be very free to also give it to others. And then the last one, of course, is charity. It says, above all, above all put on charity. Uh, charity is just supreme love to God and supreme love for others. And in this passage, it says, above all these things, put on charity. So important because your mercy, your kindness, your humbleness, your meekness, your long-suffering, forbearance, and forgiveness are all going to be dependent upon whether or not, first of all, you love God, and second of all, that you love others. Then, then the, the next thing he tells us to do in order to put on the new man, look down in verse 15. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. The, 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 the next thing he tells us to do in order to put on that new man is to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, in the Bible, there's two kinds of peace. There's a peace that you got when you got saved, and that's the peace with God. When a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, that wall of, of enmity, that wall of division between us and God is done away with. And now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But then the second kind of peace the Bible talks about is peace of God. Now, the peace with God has to do with our standing in Christ. Peace of God has to do with our day-to-day -day walk with Jesus Christ. And, and, and as, we, as we practice our position, as we, as we have a, a right, right relationship with Jesus Christ and a right relationship with others and a right response to others, then God gives us that peace. It's not something really that you go, uh, that you go directly after and receive. You get, that, you get that peace from rejoicing. You get that peace from being, being temperate. You get that peace from uh, spending time in prayer and having thanksgiving to God, thinking right thoughts, and then just simply doing what God has told us to do. And when we, when we do those things and when we live that kind of a life, God gives us that peace which passeth understanding. Then the next thing we can do to put on the new man is to let God's word dwell in you. And verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. To dwell means to abide as a permanent resident or to inhabit for a period of time. God's word is, is to be a permanent part of our life. Um, yes, we ought to spend time in the word of God every day. You ought, to have, you ought to have daily devotions. You ought to be in your Bible every single day. But that isn't enough. Don't just be in your Bible. Let your Bible get in you. Let it, let it, let it uh, uh, permeate your thoughts. Let it permeate your actions. Uh, may, it, may it be an influence on the, the way that you live on a day-to-day -day basis. The, the Bible needs to become your motivating factor. And that's why it says, let it, let it dwell in you. Let it dwell in you. It needs to become a part of us. 
Then the last thing we need to do in order to put on Christ is to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look down in verse 17. It says, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. It says that we ought to do all in the name of Jesus. If, if you can't do something in the name of Jesus Christ, if you can't do something and ask God to bless it, then it probably isn't something that we ought to be doing. It's probably something that we ought to turn our back on. Uh, but the Bible says that uh, we ought to do all uh, in the name of the Lord. The reason why we're here is not for our pleasure. The reason why we're here is for his pleasure. And so we ought to, we ought to live our lives in such a way that all that we say and all that we do should bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and remember this, when, 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 when this was written, of course it was written, uh, it was given by the inspiration of God, but it was written by a man. And the man was the Apostle Paul. He was the instrument that got used to, to uh, pen a God's inspired word. And remember where he was when he wrote this. Where he was, was he was, he was in prison. And again, verse 17, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. If you want to put on Christ, can I tell you one of the things that's got to be in your life? You've got to be thankful. You've got to be grateful. You say, you mean in the middle of COVID-19? Yeah, right in the middle of COVID-19. Uh, you mean uh, uh, when, when, when uh, uh, I lose a loved one and my heart is breaking? Yeah, when you lose a loved one, your heart is breaking. You mean when I lose my job? You mean in any circumstance or situation in life, I need to always be thankful. Folks, I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what happens to me. No matter what will come into our lives, we always have something to be thankful for. Number one thing you got to be thankful for is if you're saved someday, you're going to see your Savior face to face. If you're saved, you're going to spend all eternity up there instead of down in hell for all eternity and burn. Uh, you know, that's an awful lot, just all by itself, that's a lot to be thankful for. And, you know, you ought to be able to go into a, into a, a thankful fit at any particular time in your life just because you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, just because you're saved. Now, again, these three things, God says, that are things that we need to do because we're risen with Christ. Because we have that resurrection power, we've got that access to that power in our lives. Uh, because, be, because we are risen with him, we ought to, number one, set our affection on things above. Number two, slay those earthly desires. Put off those appetites that God doesn't want us to have. And then thirdly, put on the new man. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're thankful this morning for the opportunity to hear from you. And Lord, uh, you've told us that uh, because we are risen with Christ, we ought to act different. We ought to think different. We ought to walk different. We ought to talk different. Uh, Lord, the, the truth of the matter is we ought to be 
walking and talking, living examples and advertisements for the God whom we serve. Lord, the truth of the matter is, sometimes we don't put off that old man. Sometimes we seek the things that are down here rather than the things that are above. Lord, uh, there are times that uh, we don't uh, live a life that is pleasing unto you. Help us, God, if we're in the middle of some of that right now. Help us to see that, uh, Lord, that, that uh, people do not see Christ in, in us. When those kind of thoughts and those kind of desires and those kind of actions are occurring in our lives. Father, I praise you help us to put off that old man and put on the new man in Jesus Christ. We have that opportunity because we're risen with you. Lord, I pray that you speak to hearts this morning. There may be someone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If they were to die today, and we've referred to it several times, if they were to die today, they don't know for sure that they die and go to, go to heaven to be with you for all eternity. Lord, their sins are not yet forgiven. So, Father, I pray that you'd work in their hearts and that they might even come forward this morning. Just take my hand and say, Pastor, I'd like to be saved. We'd be happy to take the word of God and show them how they can know for sure that they can have forgiveness of sins. But the message this morning was directly toward those that have trusted you as Savior. God, may, may people see the risen Christ in us every day. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.